0: Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode, your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe.
1: Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Liberty Lockdown, and we are joined by my favorite constitutional scholar and yours, the host of Judging Liberty, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Clint. Good to be with you, my dear friend. Absolutely. Uh, so let's, let's hop right into the deep end, as we always do. Uh, Biden's DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, is working on a, quote, disinformation governance board, end quote, and it seems to be rolling out in response to Elon Musk's acquisition of twitter uh, what do you think it will entail and is this constitutional because it doesn't strike me as such
2: well it's an interesting uh, approach that the biden administration has taken is taking i mean elon musk probably will acquire control of twitter it'll probably take 6 to 8 months you know the the shareholders have to vote the right. sec has to approve it somebody'll challenge it the courts have to approve it But from a financial perspective, it appears it'll go through. The Biden administration, in anticipation of that, sort of wants its own version of what is the truth. So the first issue, as I see it, is can uh, the president, by an executive order, just set up a board or a commission uh, to comment on the news? And the short answer is yes, the president does have that discretion, and there are discretionary funds in the Department of Homeland Security. This is not a rulemaking body. If it were a rulemaking body like the FDA or the EPA or the Federal Election Commission, it would have to be enacted by law, by -hmm. Congress. It would require legislation, and the legislation would set forth what authorities it has. But if it's just going to express the government's opinions on various issues, We don't need uh, legislation. The interesting issue is, what is it going to do? I mean, is it going to say, oh, that tweet by Donald Trump or that tweet by Clint Russell or that tweet by Ron Paul contains misinformation in it? And here's the correction. My first reaction would be, who the hell cares? Who cares what the government's opinion of somebody else's tweet is? Yeah. Yeah. The danger comes when government acts like it has the same freedom of expression as the rest of us. One of the great gifts of my life was to be a close, close personal friend to the late Justice Antonin Scalia during the last 10 years of his life. We agreed on a lot of issues. We disagreed. We disagreed on whether or not the government has freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. My argument was freedom of speech is a natural right. It's a gift from God. It comes from our humanity. Only human beings have freedom of speech. The government doesn't have freedom of speech. If the government had the same freedom of speech rights as the rest of us, well, the government has a bottomless pit of money because it can just sell bonds, which is borrowing money, can effectively print money. It has the biggest bullhorn in the world, and it would drown everybody else out. The government has no business, exactly. no authority under the Constitution to say this speech is right and this speech uh, is wrong. So, you know, if, if they're just expressing their opinion, it's like anybody's opinion, it should go in one ear uh, and out the other. But if their opinion, the government's opinion, the opinion of this board on some public issue, or this board's opinion on somebody else's opinion, if you're still following me, becomes so overwhelming, then we get into an area known to constitutional scholars as chilling. Mm. Chilling Chilling is government behavior, which deters people, doesn't physically stop them, but deters them, makes them think three or four times from expressing their opinions because of the consequence. So if I start tweeting away and they start challenging me and ripping into me i might think twice before expressing my opinion for fear of the government uh, uh trying to prove that i'm wrong that Certainly. is expressly prohibited under the first amendment so scalia versus napolitano i believe he was wrong i love him god rest his soul i praise in heaven Indeed. But, but he he was wrong on that he he did not accept the uh, natural law argument that our rights come from our humanity. I'll give you his argument. In fairness to him, the government has to communicate with people. So it has to put up a sign saying the speed limit is 25 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, The library is closed at 10 o'clock at night. And I said, okay, the government can do that. That's the government informing people of the law. That's not the government expressing a political opinion. Well, from the ability of the government to communicate, he extrapolated his view that the government can communicate uh, anything it wants. Interesting. This was in a uh, case, I think it involved one of those cases where there's a a, a motto or a phrase on the bottom of a license plate, and some people were offended by it, like uh, New Hampshire's license plate's say, live free or die. Who the hell could be offended by that? But somebody was and somebody uh, challenged and the Supreme Court upheld the challenge and it forced uh, New Hampshire not to stop producing the plates, but to produce alternate plates for people who didn't want that model. It wasn't that case. It was a Texas case. And I forget what the phrase was, but in that Texas case is where he expressed this opinion. And the next time we had dinner after that, Crazy opinion of his came out, we had this argument.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Well you imagine it, what
2: it's like arguing with the greatest constitutional <laughs> scholar on the planet. I think I'm a pretty good constitutional scholar. But nobody could lay a glove on Nino Scalia. He would get mad at me and then
1: chase us out. Oh man, I would love to be a fly fly on the wall for those conversations. But I'm glad I got you.
2: Fortunately, his lovely wife, tough Irish woman, Maureen mccarthy scalia was there to separate us and to pour another glass of wine
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's good i'm glad you guys could have a disagreement and be friends we need more oh, of that That's
2: yeah,
1: and um, we are friends so, till
2: the day he died uh, that's, and uh, that's, friends
1: that's great yeah well so the the obviously this is as a libertarian this is extremely concerning that there yes it is i mean it's it's so orwellian it's almost too on the nose for even us to like discuss it without just being like can you believe this but what it, right. what it signals to me is that they are they are truly afraid to let us speak like very yes. deeply afraid and and i'm not sure that that has always been the case and i think it's kind of evidence that the this game you know this the the subterfuge that we exist within is is starting to become more evident to people is this is the fact that they're getting so extreme that the mask is kind of off that they're willing to implement these these sort of uh, you know totalitarian responses is it evidence of of weakness in the regime? What do you think? Well, only libertarians
2: truly believe in the freedom of speech. The Republicans in uh, Florida punish Disney for expressing an opinion on the sexual uh, and, and gender preference legislation that in my view wisely prohibited the teaching of this nonsense to 5 6 and 7 year olds but disagreeing with it is an absolute right and the government is not in the position to punish or reward or to evaluate speech whether it's the republicans and disney or whether it's the uh, biden administration and and clint russell or alex jones or ron paul or whoever it may be so i'll i'll give you some basic guidelines. These are not mine. These are what the Supreme Court has ruled. All innocuous speech is absolutely protected and all speech is innocuous when there is time for more speech to challenge it. Hmm. Second, the whole purpose of the First Amendment is to keep the government out of the business of speech. It presumes that the individual chooses what speech to listen to and what speech to reject. Third, the whole purpose of the first amendment is to encourage open, wide, broad, even caustic speech about the policies and the personnel of the government. None of that is mine. All of that is from two Supreme court opinions, Brandenburg versus Ohio, a 1969 unanimous opinion. And, um, New York Times versus Sullivan in 1964 was probably about a seven to two or six to three decision. Doesn't matter. Wow. They're both well grounded, never seriously challenged, universally followed black letter law.
1: You know, if old Joe
2: had all his wits about him, he'd remember. Studying these cases in his constitutional <laughs> law class at Syracuse Law School, I don't even know if he remembers the three years he spent there. He certainly <laughs> doesn't. He certainly doesn't remember what he learned there.
1: I think half the time he doesn't remember his wife's name, so don't feel bad. Uh, so the the reason that this this comes up is that uh, I've I've been recently studying the, the smith munt Act, which was repealed in 2012, and it, and to me it seems that it, it has created. A, an endless series of what I view to be psychological operations, or what the CIA calls them, as psyops, against the American yeah. people. What what the smith month Act did was it removed or it made it legal for the American government to propagandize the American people. At least that's my reading of it. I'm curious yes, if your your,
2: your reading is correct. And prior to that change, and this is this is really uh, below the surface. You know, this happened uh, ten years ago, but prior to that change. Uh, the American government was uh, permitted to proselytize using CIA and other assets uh, into uh, foreign countries. The theory was we will proselytize into what were called the captive states, the Baltic states, those countries that Joe Stalin grabbed uh, at the end of Poland, uh, for example, that Joe Stalin grabbed at the end of World War II, and they would listen to Voice of America or whatever there were a number of these things uh radio free Europe I mean the CIA ran many of them, and mm-hmm. they would learn uh the advantages of freedom and capitalism and it would cause them to repel the soviet uh, uh, dictatorship right. well who knows if it worked the Soviet Union <laughs> fell, and those countries uh for the most part uh became uh free what what is terrible about this is Uh, Once they changed the law and allowed all that nonsense to turn westward and to be pointed at the United States, it it unleashed the CIA for the second known time in its history to violate its charter by engaging in activities in the U.S. The charter of the CIA in 1947 expressly prohibits it to uh, engage in any activities in the United States. A 1986 executive order by, of all people, Ronald Reagan permitted the CIA to engage in warrantless surveillance on Americans, supposedly to find drug dealers. Well, now, of course, the CIA is inside of every uh, mobile device uh, in the land. Uh, this statute uh, also violated the charter of the CIA uh, by permitting it and its various entities. I mean, you don't know it's the CIA. They come with great high-end uh, equipment, with experienced radio people, and with a very radio-benign-sounding uh, uh, name, with advertisers and everything. You don't you don't know that this is the government. Uh, and they're spewing uh, misinformation uh, at you. Again, I don't even know if old Joe knows that his government already does this. My goodness. Well, this seems... And all like- this gets back to this debate with Scalia. I mean, it was a private debate. It was a dinner party. Nina. Yeah. The government can't have freedom of speech. It's a natural right. Only human beings have uh, have natural rights. And as a policy matter, if the government has freedom of speech, it'll drown everybody else out. Yeah. And, and, and to old Joe's credit, he wants to do this in front of everybody. To his discredit, he doesn't care about the First Amendment. He doesn't care about freedom. He wants the government's version uh, of facts. Who likes this? Some Republicans like it, and they'll want to take it over when, when a Republican succeeds old Joe. Democrats like it because they run the White House. Progressives like it because they're losing control over a Twitter and their their ideas are going to have to fight in the marketplace of ideas under Elon Musk. Libertarians condemn it. The government has no business telling me what to believe. And no business trying to shape my thoughts and trying to shape my opinion. You know, well, the, I, government, the government will stop at nothing. And if this shaping of opinion doesn't work, what's their favorite tool? Fear. Right. Fear. That's where they'll go next.
1: Well, and uh, the past two years couldn't be more aptly described than a fear campaign against the American people with the COVID response. And then I could also argue, I can't prove it, obviously, but the removal of the Smith Bundt Act certainly makes me question whether or not the Russian collusion hoax and then the, the COVID hysteria response via lockdowns and everything else uh, weren't in some aspect propagated by the CIA. I know this is conspiracy theory stuff, but makes you wonder.
2: Well, well, look, it, it, it's not that conspiratorial, Clint. You're you probably going to read all this stuff because it's my end of the world. But in one sure. of the fil- uh, filings by John Durham, who's the prosecutor appointed by Trump's last Senate-confirmed right. attorney general, Bill Barr, to uh, investigate the origins uh, of the uh, Russia-Trump investigation. Mm -hmm. In one of those filings, uh, he demonstrated that Hillary's people fed a lot of false information uh, to the FBI, and the CIA knew it was false at the moment, and the FBI didn't. So why didn't the CIA tell the right people in the Trump administration that investigation that they're starting in DOJ, that's all in, in Jim Comey's hands. He may not know it, but it's all untrue, and we can prove it. Why didn't the CIA do that? Because they hated Trump, because they're part of the uh, of the deep state. So the, yeah. this is not necessarily conspiracy theory. This is laid out in documents in court that have not been challenged or refuted.
1: Yeah, well, and, and even more sinisterly... Uh- my hero, Dave Smith, was on Kennedy last night, and he brought up an incredible point that Trump was impeached based off of his demands that there be an investigation of the Biden family in Ukraine. That information was leaked from the Hillary campaign to the CIA, FBI, and then they didn't come out and say, well, hey, we're actually investigating Hunter right now. We're actually doing that, but we're not going to tell you, and we're going to allow the the sitting president to be impeached under the pretense that is completely detached from reality. It's it's remarkable. Well,
2: they they uh, feared the sitting president. You know, I once had a, a well, I had many conversations with him. In in the conversation I'll tell you about now, I said, you know, you have another month before you leave office. We were talking about pardons, so this was mm. around Christmas time uh, of 2020. Um, you could do something else that you promised you'd do. What? What? Release the Kennedy assassination file. He goes, I did promise it, but I can't. Someday, I will tell you why. But I will tell you, Judge Napolitano, if you had seen what I saw, you would agree with me that I shouldn't release it. They probably showed him a picture of JFK's head blown open by the Intelligence Committee because he had threatened, quote, to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces. Oh, my God. So Trump could only go... So far, because we have allowed the intelligence community and the deep state, intelligence, law enforcement, administrative, banking, military, those parts of the government that never change, no matter which party controls either House of Congress and who's in the White House. We've allowed the deep state to become another government that is stronger than the government we've elected. I am sorry to say that. It's a dirty little truth.
1: No, I c- couldn't agree more. Um, I'll get you out of here on this because we're running out of time. But uh, given the slow pace of judicial review and the rapid pace of tyranny, especially when it came to you know governors' emergency orders, what what could we do to remedy this? Would it be possible to make politicians criminally criminally liable when they violate the Constitution with some of these uh, you know dictates?
2: Well, we would have to change the Constitution uh, because there's what's called the speech and debate clause, which uh, immunizes members of Congress from anything done or said on the floor of the Congress, at a committee meeting, on their Mm. way to or on their way from. That's in there because um, George III and his predecessors uh, would arrest and punish members of Parliament who were critical of the king. So. Madison wanted that in there just in case the president became a little king like (laughs) Uh, in terms of in terms of the president. I mean, the courts have ruled many times they'll enjoin the president if it's a clear violation of the Constitution. But if it's ambiguous, uh, they'll say the remedy is political. You don't like what he did. uh, Vote him out of office in terms of challenging this thing. It'd be very difficult to challenge it. Uh, You'd have to find someone whose ox was gored. So, if, for example, this committee came after you or Alex Jones or me or or Ron Paul, uh, and really caused us financial harm by what they said about us, we would be in a position to challenge the executive order that established it. But just uh, fearing it, not liking it, not wanting it—that is not uh, enough of a of a case or controversy to justify a federal court getting involved.
1: Well, it seems it seems like. I, you know, I, I grant you that there's justifiable reasons not to want this, but it does seem as if it would be better for liberty if a politician were to write a law that, say, say even if it's not, you know, preemptive judicial review, but if they pass something that ends up being overturned by the Supreme Court, like just they can't run for office again, you know, like that seems like a simple enough. Thing no. Well,
2: I mean, again, that would require uh, an amendment to the Constitution. Okay. Because you know there there are only you know, I think three requirements uh, to run for Congress: citizenship, residency, and age. And the Congress can't add to or detract from that. Only the only the Constitution uh, can. That right. could be dangerous because uh, you know a court that we disagreed with may find something that we love something no, very freedom uh, oriented to be unconstitutional just because <laughs> the lefties on the court didn't like it. So that could really that could really but, cut uh, both ways.
1: No, that's that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. I'm just trying to find I'm trying to find solutions here, man. I, I just hate I hate to have to wait a year and a half or two years for them to finally say we can fly without being muzzled. You know, and it's I was. Ju- I just had the
2: same thought. That case was filed in July I don't want to be critical of her. I suppose she could have grabbed it and ruled on it in July. But, mm. but the, the uh, process is for judges to take cases uh, in the order in which they're filed. Right. So by the time this case got to her, uh, it was December. She ordered briefings and documents to be filed. She studied the documents. She wrote her opinion. By the time all that work was done, as well as all the other cases she has to deal with, judges don't just deal with one case in a day um it was april so yeah it would have been great if that decision had come out uh, earlier but it was such a great decision and the government's um response was so lame clint because the government when it filed its appeal failed to ask that her decision be enjoined that tells Mm -hmm. you the government does not expect to win its appeal which is great
1: no that's great news for us well this has been enlightening as always. If you need more Judge Knapp in your life, and why wouldn't you go to Judging Freedom? He just had on Ron Paul and Scott Ritter that are both you know viral episodes that are incredibly informative. Uh, everybody go support his work. Again, that's Judging Freedom. Anything else you'd like to tell the audience before you head out? Oh, that's, that's very kind of you. My columns
2: come out on Thursday. You can get those at, uh, at Judge Knapp. Today explains all the constitutional issues in the disputes between uh, Disney uh, and Florida. Oh, thank you, Clint. These these Thursday afternoons are are rapidly becoming the highlight of the week for me. Hey. We're, so simpo- we're so simpatico. I, I, feel like you're my, I feel like you're my nephew, and you're right here in this room with me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I, I wish I was your nephew. Anyways, thank you so much for your time, Judge. Uh, everybody go best. follow him and uh, subscribe to Judging Freedom. Thank you again. A brief interlude before we get into my incredible discussion with Ed Lattimore, who was a heavyweight fighter. I believe he went 12-1, and 1, became an author, grew up in the hood dealing with poverty and drug addicts all around him, and wrote books about it that are changing the world. This guy is brilliant. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, but before I do that, I want to thank our sponsor. But I also want to just talk briefly about the, the Twitter all-hands meeting that happened when they were discussing Elon's acquisition of the company. And if you were blessed enough to get to listen to a few, or tortured enough to get to listen to a few minutes of this, uh, my God, these people are so fragile, folks. Like, if you ever feel like we're going to lose, I would recommend you listen to like a leftist live stream. Like, these people are so fragile. <laughs> They're like, what, it, but what is free speech? Like, we have to, we have to figure out what that is. It's like, this isn't a mystery. Okay. Free speech does include hate speech. That's why you have a block button and a mute button. You can curate your own environment. You can. It's not that hard. We all do it. I'm almost at 40,000 followers. I get a ton of terrible interactions. But I just block them. And I move on with my life. And that's all you have to do. You don't need to censor people that have different opinions from you. You can just block them. You sensitive sallies. I can't wait to see you lose and cry. I really can't. And if you work at a, in an office like that, seriously, if you work in an office where you have all hands meetings, where you have coworkers that are crying because someone might microaggress upon them, you need to get a new job. Sorry. I know it's, it's people get pissed when I say this, well, I got to feed my family and uh, yo, you only got one life, right? You got one life to live and you're going to suffer through meetings like this. I joked on Twitter, I don't think I can make it to lunch without going completely nuclear on these people. Like, There's no way I could sit through a two-hour all-hands meeting and listen to these people cry about Elon Musk buying our company. I would be so pumped. (laughs) But anyways, if you are in that position, you got to get a new job. You you never had a better chance than right now. There are so many job openings still, but the economy is just now turning over. So make sure you do it right now. Go to careerhackers.com, sign up for the Daily Job Hunt newsletter learn how to be a better job advocate and learn how to get yourself in a position where you don't have to listen to woke lunatics cry into their mugs because it's just not a good way to live. No one deserves that. I wish, I wish all of my audience to never have to experience that as part of their work environment. That is like, I can't, I can't even, I'm so blessed because I've got to work for myself for the past 15 years, but my God, I would lose my mind. Please go to careerhackers.com And sign up for the Daily Job Hunt newsletter. Check out the other services they offer over there. Again, careerhackers.com. Let's get into part two. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host. And I am thrilled to be joined today by Ed Lattimore. He is a former heavyweight boxer and the best-selling author of Sober Letters to My Drunken Self. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Ed. I, I I discovered you via some incredible threads that I read from you. And uh, and let me say you you are a tremendous writer, so thank you for joining us.
3: Uh, thank you, I really really appreciate that. You know, it's funny, as I used to be very anti like creating threads on Twitter because I, I tracked some data and I, and I'm, they made some changes recently, and how their algorithm is picking things up. Because now it's a fantastic way to express yourself, and and on top of that, I, I still believe that you should have your website with your content because that it just works better for people discovering you. But what I'm able to do is take those threads and then post and turn them into threads. And it's a really uh fun time.
1: Yeah, no, I, I actually, that's how I kind of got my start too was um, the early days of lockdown. I did a, a lengthy thread where I said all of the reasons that the lockdowns would be catastrophic. And I gave all of my evidence very early on. And, and it really, uh, you know it alarmed a lot of people it got a lot of people to share it and and that's kind of the start of this show so you're you're doing a similar thing and i think it's a it's a great way to convey uh you know twitter's such a like brief encapsulated idea and yeah. it, it allows you to elaborate <laughs> a little bit so
3: and and i think too you now I'm, I'm really big on seo and algorithms i, I just really like that stuff for whatever sure. reason and i and there are some things I have a, a belief about based on what I see, the inputs and the outputs, but I don't know what's in the black box in between. <laughs> but I can I can guess. And I think one of the things that they have started to do, and you can see this kind of reflected in the changes in the stats, is they started to use an, a metric similar to what Google uses called dwell time. And the more people dwell or, or spend reading interacting with your content that mm. that sends a signal that this is worth sharing to other people because anytime you put something out i've worked the math out on this maybe two to five percent of your audience sees it it's got to decide if it's if it's worth showing to more people or bumping in priority or you know when you have faint relationships to uh, increase the visibility of it, so it, it's a it's really a cool thing. I probably spend more time than the average person. Well, definitely more time than the average person. Uh, more time than maybe is healthy. Looking into how this stuff works, but but it's, it's absolutely <laughs> fascinating me.
1: Yeah, no, me too. And I mean, you're up to 100 and almost 80 thousand followers. So you're 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 working the system, man. You got it. You got it figured out.
3: Well, yeah, and and you know, it's not a. It's not a system per se, right? Because at the end, people respond to the same things on all media. Well, that's what I figured out. The trick, if you want to like talk about what system you'll work, is you work in the communication system. How do people read? How do they interpret? How do they feel? What makes them engage with a post? What makes them want to share it? That is the study you should <coughs> you should embark on. Right. And then from there, you you learn kind of the technical execution of it, the the writing, you know, the, uh, the stylistic devices to use. It's like my coach used to always say, "I can teach you how to fight, but I can't turn you into a fighter." And this is like the, the those two scenarios or those two areas I gave, where you're studying what makes people engage. That's become that's a fighter, right? Uh, because someone with terrible writing could still figure that out, and I see it all the time. <laughs> On the other hand, if you have good writing, if you have good technique, you can throw a good punch. Uh, you might not be the best writer, and I've seen this too, where guys, you know, they are they are expert wordsmiths, but they don't understand how to make their stuff be be um, engaging. They they think you know, and it can be any number of reasons. A lot of it is arrogance, though. This idea that people should, uh, they shouldn't have to dumb down, quote unquote, their content. And I never consider it dumbing down. I consider it effective communication because what, because ultimately that's what a word uh, does. It takes an idea in your head and puts it into someone else's. So mm. if I use a complicated $10 word that only anyone who's studied for the master's in literature uh, knows, then... <laughs> I'm effectively speaking a foreign language and yeah. my communication is, is no. So yeah. it, it, it's really amazing to see this stuff. And I think a lot about this because at the end of the day, writing is, is the vehicle for everything else I, I want to do.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and if you're passionate about your message, the most important thing is that you convey it in a way that's palatable, that people actually take Absolutely. in. Cause there's a
3: lot of evil people out there who, Who They may not have studied it formally or even put that much thought into it, but they get it. They understand how to say a thing, make it stick, make it shareable, make people want to remember it, get into people's minds. Um, It's the same skill you'd have to have as a teacher. You have to be able to go, okay, I know this piece of complex information and I need you to understand it. But you're not going to understand it. Uh, Complexity at first. So I got to figure out the best way to break down the simple building blocks and then give them to you in the correct order so you can build a, a functional knowledge structure.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, the uh, the reason I, and this will be kind of a uh, an intro into the conversation or the reason that we wanted to have this conversation is that you did a thread, uh, I think it was four days ago, that was uh, basically about how poverty impacted your childhood. Um, so I'd like to start with reading a little bit of, of it, if you don't mind.
3: Oh, yeah, uh, let's go.
1: Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, I grew up in the public housing projects and learned some hard lessons so you didn't have to. Here are 11 things I learned from growing up in the hood, surrounded daily by crackheads, gangbangers, poverty, and death. Thread. Uh, first one, good manners never make a situation worse. If you mess up, all you got to do is say my bad and people will keep it moving a lot of the times. But if you don't even acknowledge that you offended or accidentally bumped into someone, that's often going to be your ass. I, lo- yeah. I love how you, I love how you started, uh, you know, yeah, and I, I've actually I use this a lot, too, is that I try and use a little a little street, a little profanity. Um, I think it, it takes people out of the academic and it brings them into the real. And uh, and you did a good job with that one. So. Uh, I, I would imagine that your upbringing kind of led you down the path to being a fighter. Given that you said having manners, well, you, well, you know what's conflict. you know what's
3: funny, man. People, that's a very natural conclusion to make. And if you don't know anything else about me, that is, uh, you know that that that's like that's a good guess. Like no one would think that's crazy. But I didn't start fighting until I was twenty two. I didn't start. I didn't walk into the boxing gym at all. until I was twenty two, wow. and. And my relationship with violence growing up, it, I, I got comfortable with it because there was either the violence in school, dealing with bullies, or there was back home, my mom kicking my ass. And those are, the, those are two things. You know, there, there was never, ever a safe place. Like, like I'm, I'm sure my, my cortisol levels were through the roof as a kid. But, but, you know, the way I counteracted that was really this this stoic approach to life that I have. But I say all this to say, I, after the age of 14, I don't think I punched someone in the face or I got punched in the face again until I boxed because I went to a high school that was way across town in a completely different socioeconomic bracket, and it really changed my life. But prior to that, I mean, yeah, it was a regular occurrence. And, and you know, a lot of suspensions and stuff. I was thinking about this the other day, talking over with somebody, and I was like, yeah, hey, man, that's right. I had a few five- and ten-day suspensions, which are, like, one level below... Uh, expulsion. <laughs> and and yep. I wasn't like I don't think I was a bad kid. I mean, it was certainly worse, but but I absolutely knew that I could not you know for for lack of a more PG term, I could not become somebody's bitch. Like that could not happen. <laughs> so these
1: suspensions were for fighting, right?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I almost every single one of them. Um and and what what, what people don't realize who aren't from that That type of area, you know, when they talk about bullying. Bullying is like there there are extremes to this. There's where we're at now, and it's an extreme, or where we're at now where you can't do anything. There is like you can't say nothing, you can't hit nobody. And and people think that's good, but the reality is that humans are an anti-fragile species. We need to be hurt to get better. We need to be hurt to improve. And you see that a lot in, in some of the stats that, that show when we look at the development of youth and markers that signify that they are transitioning to adulthood, all of them are being delayed. But well, I mean, I'm sure it's not only because we don't bully, but when, you're, when you don't know how to like, be cool, defend yourself, be likable, we'll navigate a social environment, uh, when you when you get out into the real world where, where you can very much bully, ah, you're really gonna be behind. And then there's the other extreme, which is probably closer to what I grew up in, which is like, you know, I, you know, kids getting beat to death or, you know, I remember one time there was this story, uh, this was not at my high school. This was a high school in another hood across town, man. They, they beat this kid with an inch of his life and tied him to the football pole. These are his teammates, uh, because oh he, God. because he stepped on the logo. You don't dis Apparently you don't disrespect the logo, stuff like that. Um. And then you know, catching a school bus every like every day. I just like thinking back to it, I have anxiety, and I'm and, I'm, and it's more than half my life ago. But wow. these are the I mean, Those are the extremes, and neither one is good for different reasons. Somewhere in yeah, the middle. No.
1: Yeah, well, that's the stoicism. That's finding the the balance in life too, as more of a Zen outlook. It's like I, I totally agree with you. I think that the uh, you know the coddling of this this most recent generation has been. Uh, not to their benefit, you know. That you yeah. have you have kids that are so fragile that that they can't deal with anything. And and sometimes you fuck around, you find out as that dude <laughs> oh, yeah. um, on the on I, the on the plane and, with Mike uh, Mike how Tyson.
3: Crazy, like like there's not a single person over the age of like at the youngest man, uh, 27, who's looking at that going, why would you ever think that's a good idea? Like, do you know who Mike Tyson? Like, let, let, let's like let's like put aside the whole like you know what he says about disrespecting people and how social media has made everyone feel safe. Like, like that's for a normal person. Mike Tyson bit a man's ear off, man. Like, in a in a sanctioned fight. Right. right. That's not
1: even on the street. So.
3: So. So like like. And, you know, you look at his interviews and you see this character and I'm like, like if, there were, if, if I was going to pick anybody to bother, that would be the last person. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got an interview and it's true, man, because now he talks about in his hot box with Mike Tyson, you know, how it's weed now. But he used to say, he's one of his famous quotes, they got me on the Zoloft to keep me from killing y'all. Like. <laughs> and, and, it, it's and he not, ain't
0: lying. <laughs> yeah,
3: he's not lying. So... So that kid found out, man. And, and, and who on the plane is going to stop Mike Tyson? Like.
1: <laughs> Hell no. I'm, unless I'm you, just unless, watching Unless there's an
3: air marshal on the plane. <laughs> right. That that kid just got taken asking and then sit there with him the rest of the flight. <laughs> which is the worst.
1: But he learned, you know. Yep. and, and I mean, this is uh well anyways I'll, I'll hop into the next uh, next bullet point here we got uh weakness brings trouble and this is kind of what we're talking about if people think they can take advantage of you or hurt you they will human nature is fucked up like that if you're going to be kind you need to be strong because there are terrible people who will take your kindness for weakness they will test you
3: oh man and dude you know what's really you know what innocence is in a child I, I thought about this a lot about like what what that means when we say that because it's kind of a nebulous concept and and then I settled on my idea one day, you know, talking about my childhood. And I think I might bring this up in the in the post, but I don't I don't talk about it in terms of innocence. Innocence is the ability to exist in the world, uh, and not have to face consequences, and not have to deal with the pressure. Like you can you can just be you can literally be a kid, and everyone is going to kind of look at what you do and go that's a kid now obviously there are, there' are boundaries like if you come out you accidentally kill somebody as a kid that changes the perception but even still we're gonna go but you didn't really understand that you could kill somebody like a five-year-old somehow right okay right. that that's what innocence is and, and we want to pre- we, we, we try to protect that in kids because we we know scientifically from research that if if you're exposed to adverse or traumatic offense they call they call them a adverse childhood events. Right, we know they increase the likelihood of you going to prison, using drugs, uh out of wedlock. Well, not even out of wedlock anymore, uh, early before you can take care of them children. Right, like we know you know, you look at the whole prison system, and they're oh they're, there's an overrepresentation of a high level of adverse childhood uh childhood events. Okay, when you grow up in the environment that I grew up in. I'm sure everybody had a high number. That's why probably so many end up in jail or, or pregnant prematurely or things like that. You don't get to be innocent because reality is beating down on you the whole time. And that's something I, I didn't realize. In fact, uh, I, have, I have a story I tell people to illustrate this idea. When I went to that new high school, uh, it, it, it was a, I was a fish out of water. Now, fortunately, I'm a social guy and I know how to talk to people, but I was a fish out of water. And and I remember talking to them and I was like, yo, so how many fights have you been in? And they were like, fighting? What is that? Like, like <laughs> that, that that's not a, a thing where a lot of my friends came from. So they don't even know what it's like to have to fend for themselves and possibly lose it, because the kids were fighting with bricks and stuff where i was from I mean, like, well, it wasn't like just don't fit. And so and possibly be like legitimately altered. They don't know what it's like to, you know, have to scramble when there's gunshots or something. So there's a certain innocence, and you need that. So you develop into a, a a decent person. You have to grasp what right of passages are. When we determine, okay, you're ready to bear bear um, the the pros and cons of being an adult, you know. And True. and that that's something that 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 statement makes me think about because I never got a chance to be weak, you know, to to yeah. be innocent.
1: Well, that that's that is interesting because uh, you know I was. I was blessed enough to have a relatively peaceful childhood. I, I didn't get into my first fights until late late middle school and then uh, another couple in high school, but um it, it there is something and I, I still I look back on it very fondly, you know, when I had I had this this belief that, you know, no one was out to get me or mess with me and, and I was safe. I was safe to just play and be a, and- and be a child.
3: And this is why sexual abuse of children is such a a big deal. Like like it really is awful because they're not equipped. Their their body still responds, but they're not psychologically equipped for what that means and the burden of pressure. And nor should they be because most people don't look at kids and go, "Oh, that's a sexual being." But the sickos who do they ruin those completely because they're not equipped psychologically for that, even well, that's, close that's- to it.
1: Yeah, that's what this whole debate is with uh, in Florida, which is where I'm at right now, about about the education that we're giving to kids. Like, even though it may not be sexual molestation or anything like that, um, to teach children, you know, five to seven year olds, I don't think it's right, man.
3: It's 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 absolutely crazy, and and I've gotten really good mainly because now I'm I'm just popular enough to where when I say something on Facebook, (laughs) it, it finds me. And and I and look, I don't care anything I, I put out, I stand by. But but there's, I just don't. You know, the big thing, the real, the real truth is on Facebook, people aren't limited in their characters, so they can type me a whole damn diatribe <laughs> if they disagree. And and then, and then on top of that, the notifications um, are just more powerful because every time I go on to Facebook, it's just that red dot just stays there, right? So yeah, I go check it out. But um, no, I saw somebody writing about how you know in defense of it saying that that think about all the things that you are aware of when you're a kid and I'm like and and, and you know you should understand that and and know that families all look different it's not just you know a mom and a dad or two dads two mom and I'm like yeah but that's that's not when you're a kid you're not equipped to to even comprehend that the right way
1: exactly
3: like like a perfect one of my favorite stories growing up my, my teacher told me when I was like, in the fourth or fifth grade, and it always stuck with me. She was at a at a McDonald's, and it was in a predominantly black neighborhood. And I guess these this white guy and his kid were driving through, and they stopped and and they're in line, and the kid is like four or something, and looks around and goes, "Wow, Daddy, look at all the brown people." Doesn't say anything offensive, right. or, or, or because because and that tells us that no one's you know at home calling us the M word and shit, right? Exactly, but like. But like that is her impression. She it's just like look at all the brown people. It, yeah. She doesn't she doesn't know anything about the racial tension, or <laughs>
1: right. th- they could exist with that
3: statement. It's like like so kids see race, but they don't comprehend it that way. So they don't, so there's no need to teach them, you know, about the history of slavery yet. Because because <laughs> you, you end up doing a little more damage than harm because they're not at that point. I'm not Dang. that guy. Look, I, I'm not the guy that's going to say don't touch critical race theory. I want to say, don't teach that shit before a certain age because you exactly. gotta know. You know, like I remember the first time I got exposed. Like, like, I had heard of it, but when I really got exposed to what the Holocaust was, I was seventeen, and I was, and, and I, I cried because I understood what I was yeah. looking at when I looked at these videos. Imagine showing that to me when I'm eight. I don't know. I'm, I might even inappropriately laugh. Right. And, and take humor in it. There's a certain level of cognitive development that, that I think people are forgetting is, is really important to understand these complex topics. They just, you know, and then so, so yeah, like, like I'll, there there are some other things I'll stand by that, that, that make me mad. And if you, and if you share that idea, we probably share a lot of the same. <laughs> oh yeah for
1: sure yeah i mean i i I feel the same way man i think there's there's value in many of these ideas and certainly there's value in having tolerance for different lifestyles but teaching it to a five or six year old what the fuck are you doing you know because
3: because they don't have intolerance yet that's exactly we don't you know the 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 default state of a person is not intolerance and hatred and bigotry it's that's that's learned right and so (laughs) <laughs> it, it just it just it, it, because because i know what happens when you when you expose people to stuff too early
1: yeah, uh and, and we know what happens
3: what's crazy is we know what happens yeah. and so but we, but we continued on this this path of lunacy but that's a different story <laughs> well
1: we we have a, a a lighter note here you say crackheads are incredible but only because they're hooked on crack desperation can make a man do physically incredible things I'm mostly exaggerating for comedic effect, but I have seen crackheads jump from a three-story building and live on rotten food, and they are fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, the,
3: the, the old joke, man, you know, you can't catch no crackhead. And it used to be a joke, right? But, but where'd that joke come from? I've right. seen it. Deion Sanders has this great interview where he's talking about, you know, who, who are the great athletes in his family. And he and the first thing he says, he goes, "Man, my uncle Junebug, I couldn't catch me as fast, he's a crackhead though." And he's just saying it. And if you don't know anything about the crackhead <laughs> lore or legend, that that means nothing. But <laughs> but if you're from that area, you know, yeah. Even Dion wasn't catching no crack.
1: <laughs> and we all know how fast Dion was. So. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> so yeah, it's one of those things. And I grew up with a man doing. I'm telling you, I I I was babysat by, our, by our crackheads and addicts. I have a memory of of uh grabbing a syringe I thought it was a water gun and squirting the water water out and and then my mom arguing with the woman who was babysitting us and I thought it's cause I put water on the couch. Turns out it was like fifty dollars worth of heroin and stuff like that. So so I, I've been around that and then you know we live next door to to a pretty pretty um I don't know what adjective I'm even looking for: sadistic, crazy, cruel, uh, intense, whatever. Crack dealer. Uh, my mom never dealt in anything hard, but she she sold weed, and so I, you know you see that. Uh, it, it was a, it was a really just an interesting thing to see, and I I coped with humor, and and that's just what I had in an in immediate like first order uh, relationship with. We're not talking about the shit I seen like just in the neighborhood. You know, it was obvious. Or across the street, that's just, just what I knew. And so, yeah. so for me, it was it was funny, man. No, it's fun- well, well, it's funny now. And no, and, right. and I think humor humor was my coping mechanism.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. I think that's that's one thing I hate about this era more than anything is that. The the woke-ification of society has made us all so sensitive that we we don't joke about each other's differences anymore. Oh man, you know, dude, we're, we're you know we're so we're so it is uh, concerned absolutely about a shame.
3: Yeah, it's a shame because because humor is not supposed to make you comfortable. It's supposed to it's it's weird, uh, comedic relief or comic relief. When you hear that, that's exactly what it is. It's supposed to break tension. But I would never say comedy supposed to make you feel comfortable. Uh, It's just that in that tension being released and raised, released, released, uh, there is the effect of laughter and you come out feeling better because laughter makes you feel better. We know how it affects the dopamine, the serotonin in your brain. But, like, it's not – no one was ever good at – even the jester. The jester's job is to make fun of the king, like, and, and make him laugh by that effect. Like, so if you can make fun of the king and not lose your head, (laughs) <laughs> you know
1: you had a and, career <laughs> yeah
3: so so that's that you know it's a shame man. and and I do think right like like all things you know you can take a thing too far right my issue is is with the, with this whole movement of not is that if we don't know how far we can take things then when something appears to be too far it's a problem this, this is this like the whole you know the idea posited by Dr. John Height about why the uh, safe spaces and microaggression showed up because well, going back to what we we're saying if you're not ever exposed to the temple of bullying and making fun of you is is rough well the the minute you hear something you don't disagree with that that's going to actually feel like violence and that's crazy
1: to me right because then, then you can justify violence in response to words which is not not normally how you want to deal things do things but Then again, I I do kind of respect when, you know, Mike Tyson takes a stand because he's got some drunk heckler behind him. Well, yeah,
3: man, look, okay. There's balance.
1: There's balance.
3: Yeah, restoring balance to the force, right? Because everyone's (laughs) going to see that and go, well, you know, you you never know. He knew, or maybe he didn't know. Like like I said, (laughs) there is no way you grew up in the 80s or 90s and you think, you know who I'm going to fuck with today?
1: (laughs) like that's not <laughs> exactly we're we're probably similar age because i remember i was watching mike tyson when i was a kid and and i was like i would never talk shit to mike tyson never
3: I, It's just reverence it's just yeah just just craziness <laughs> absolute craziness
1: well we got the next one says someone always has it tougher i was on welfare and living in the projects but at least my mom wasn't a crackhead i knew a few kids who got taken uh my CYS I don't know what that is do you know okay CYS? so
3: so here's the thing I just learned this so see okay. we used to call it CYS right I think now it's called CYF or, oh, okay. or something something like that children youth services pretty much the people who talk ah. you and put you in the homes and put you, you with, with foster
1: parents got you so it says uh my mom only went to jail once but some parents were always in the system I mean that that's uh, this is actually something that my audience will really appreciate because I'm I'm a libertarian. We're we're very opposed to the war on drugs, and I know that's that's oftentimes why why we have so many people that are in prison in this country, even though we're the quote unquote land of the free. But per capita, we got the most people locked up. Wow, um, man! Like it like
3: it's it's absolutely wild because because I, I I sit on first of all, um, if, yeah, if I had to identify politically, right there with you, man. That's probably why we we share a lot of a lot of thoughts. Exactly. But but you know, with that, I make sure I look at the thing and I try to be objective. Because a lot of these motherfuckers in jail, it ain't just for moving to work, right? It is for you know a lot of the stuff that they had to do to move to work. Um, mm. now, with that said, like I always say, if you wanna if you wanna like change the face of Mexico and this country, just legalize everything and tax it, let the corporations get involved. There you, you know, go. Th- that if you have to pick between two evils, right. You know, corporate greed or cartel violence. I'm gonna pick corporate greed, job creation, <laughs> tax revenue every time. In fact, these greedy motherfuckers are probably gonna start watering down the coke with, with chalk so they can increase the profit margin.
0: Yeah, uh, so, for like sure.
3: That it's just now. Nah, I'm what you all the way on the, uh, the war on drugs. But a lot of the stuff I saw was not you know just there was the war on drugs. I mean, my mom when she went to jail. She she got drunk and decided she was going to go fight some lady. And it was crazy yeah. to me because I was like, I, I remember very clearly standing in the door telling her to come in the house. And she was like, no, nah, I got to go beat this bitch's ass. And I was like,
1: and, th- and that's when I realized too.
3: And this is why, that's when I realized at, eight, uh, at age 11, I was like, I'm going to have to figure this grown up thing out on my own. And I didn't realize the weight of that because I'm 11. I think, you know, all I know is the oldest I've ever been. And this right. was pretty old. Nah, man, looking back, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. Like,
3: no, is. uh, but, but I, I know, I know some kids, man, that's, it, it was worse. And I always remembered that, you know, cause, cause my oh, mom yeah. made a lot of mistakes, but, but if we're going to like grade her on, on a report card scale, I give her like a C minus, you know, which is passing, right? <laughs> <But> <laughs> she like, passed. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, in, you know, thank goodness not in jail. So, you know, there's a lot of that. It's, it's me and luck, but like. It, it could It could have been a lot worse, you know
1: Oh, for sure. yeah. And uh, I mean back to your, your original point about how how there was so many or such a, a lack of father fathers in this area, um, I think that the war on drugs is to me, that's the the main culprit. I, I, there's obviously some some other poverty aspects, cultural aspects, but what do you what do you think is the driving force there?
3: Um, behind the, the, the lack of fathers in the community yeah yeah um not to get all tinfoil hat here but but when you look at the numbers and I only know about the black community If sure. you look at the numbers up until about 1955 1960 we were a very married group of people Very, yeah. were
1: two parent households and then Tom, the Thomas 60- soul wrote about this.
3: Yeah. Okay, right. Okay. So, so, you know, exactly where I'm going.
1: Yeah. Uh,
3: so, and then in the sixties, seventies, all of a sudden, this fucking, this single mom thing really takes off and flies off. I, I don't think the prison system is the biggest contributor. Obviously it is a contributor. I don't think it is the top even three. I can think of three things right off the top of my head. Um, the, the biggest contributors that we we've been incentivized Legit, people don't want like to talk about this but it's true and, and and now it's starting to trickle out into the white community as well uh, we've been incentivized to not have a father in the home
1: yeah that's crazy man
3: and because because look at the end of the day I mean I don't know what it's like to be a woman so I can only look at this from the perspective of being a man if if I had to choose between getting some money and getting some money and having somebody tell me what to do, and and I couldn't go out and have a good time and party and pick up with other dudes if I wanted to, and, or or check my emotional impulses. Ah, uh, I, I might go with the money with no strings attached. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at the very least, I am not going to be as motivated to stick it out, and right. that's the big deal. I'm not going to be as motivated to even get married in the first place before I have a kid or at least make sure we have a solid relationship. All of these things make a big, big difference. The, you know, the the black community, I, I was gonna do a speech and I decided not to one day um, about how if you want to look at the future of America, kind of look at what happened to us <laughs> it, 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 because we were, we, we were really used as kind of a, a, a poster child, not, not really a poster child. Whenever someone wants to attach to move a cause, it always gets attached to the Black cause for freedom back yep. in the 60s. Because that's a very, because you don't have to be too smart to realize it's not the same, like gay rights ain't the same as, you know, it's not the same as civil rights or, or women's rights aren't even the same as civil rights, but it, but it's a, it's a nice one to attach because it's visible and it made such a big difference. And so that's what people have done. They have went this movement, like what happened to us, um, Let's attach something to it, and you see that a lot now, or you saw that a lot. I think with with everything from. I'm not the dude that's going to be like women shouldn't vote or women shouldn't work. That's that's I I don't think that is an economically um, most effective reform. But I I cannot deny the effect that that has. Yes, <laughs> you know, of course. And, And now we pay more attention, you know, I went and gave a speech at a program I went to and the woman pulled me aside when I was in high school, I went to this program and then I went back, I think two or three years ago and gave a talk. And the woman pulled me aside and was like, look, um, this was my mentor, a female, when I was in the program. She goes, the boys, the the girls are good, but the boys are being neglected to the point so much in school because we, we spun this narrative that women are behind and everything. When you look at the numbers, they are kicking our ass. Right, and and it's not even close. Like like it was like it was like close in the '90s. Like we want to talk like an equal period, probably like late '90s, early 2000s. But now, um, and this is all coming back to the to the the lack of fathers. This isn't just a a random rant, but but now it's you know rates of college, all all salaries until you get to the top where you kind of make a got to make a choice between family and having a kid. Um, Exactly academics uh dropout rate graduation rate all of those things uh women are killing guys so there's so the guys and who's going to be more affected by that well uh, a smaller boat is going to be shaken up by bigger waves than mm. a bigger boat and so if you're already uh at the if you're already at the uh the quote-unquote bottom or at least not at the top uh when these changes occur you're going to be shaken up by them a little more and i think that's what happened
1: well and i think that the uh the the sad truth is that you have, even though you've you've couched this entire concept in, in female empowerment, what you actually end up with is a lot, <laughs> a, lot a lot of very upset people like that. Like we're not even seeing happiness rates. You know, you have you right. have SSRIs and, and uh, you know depression rates that are skyrocketing. If, if you
3: were just to look at and compare um, our fertility rate, our sex. Oh, you know what I, what I didn't yes. know. This is crazy. Um, fewer people under the age of of I think twenty seven are having sex than ever before. Like not know, just men, wild, not just women, but like no one, like no one is getting together. Men and women are in a terrible state, and and no one wants to question the long term effects of this. I was I was talking to somebody on their podcast two days ago, and this this kind of came up, and she was like, well, well, what's the what do you think is the solution? And I go, well, short of government telling motherfuckers to have kids none and when that one happens people want to fight back we're probably going to undo ourselves before meteor gets here Albert. you know that's
1: a uh, dude I'm, I'm with you and, and there's one other aspect that I, as a libertarian i have to bring up when it comes to why we started to see dual income households is that the federal reserve to you know made the value of our currency drop so much that it forced both family members to to go to work in which case you don't have someone at home taking care of the kid and then you know, everything spirals from there. So.
3: Absolutely, one of the cool things, one of the cool things, man, about about the internet era, is that it's it's given people a chance to fight back. Like, for example, I, we, we were talking about this "My Girl" today because because we're, we're expecting and and the cool th- uh, things and and one of the cool things is that okay, so I work from home effectively, right? But right. And so does she with what she does. We're both independently, you know, independent business, we were just talking about how, like, that's going to be so easy. It's not going to be a problem. And, <laughs> you know, uh, because, cause she was like, you know, imagine like all the people, like in, they have a kid, you know, the the, the clock starts ticking before you got to go back to work and the go to, and, and on top of that, you know, Americans are so affected by consumerism, they don't yeah. think, well. I have a good friend who did do this, uh, Tanner Guzzi. He he talks about the choice he made. He goes, well, my children can be raised by strangers or I can figure out how to move from this $12 an hour job. And that's what he did. And so he's got a bunch of kids and they've all been like raised by by both of them in the presence of the home and everything. But by most people, it, there's a concerted effort to make sure people don't think that way.
1: Well, this is actually the point you made in, in one of the later posts. You said prioritization can nullify a lot of poverty. Absolutely. It's, it's so true, man. It's about budgeting, you know.
3: <laughs> and and to that point in that post, I saw it growing up, man. My One of my, my best friends as a kid, we used to always go to his house to play video games. And we used to go to my house to eat, <laughs> you know. Right, right. Because he, he had all the video games. <laughs> but when it, but if the if the ramen pack wasn't there, and then sometimes it wasn't, we would like you know come over to my house, man. Eat. That's how it went. <laughs> now now my, there's another area where my, where my mom was was better than average. She wasn't good with money, but my, my, my mom could survive like no other. Never really gonna thrive, but right. could survive. And we always had we always had food.
1: Yeah, well, you couldn't become a heavyweight if you weren't eating a little bit growing up.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, is—that's that's true. You know what's funny, man? I, I I joke with my sister about this all the time. My sister is five eleven. My dad was six three. My mom was five nine. I always tell her. I said, "Look, man, I got short chains because if I was as tall for a guy as you are for a girl, I'd have been like six six, man. I'd have been I'd have been in somebody's league, like yeah, right? <laughs> you know. And you you getting on Klitschko, <laughs> right? Like, dude, it, it sucks, man. It sucks so much because I'm only six one." And yep. that is that that's and, and but I'm built like right. uh, like yeah, I mean, when I was playing DN, I got up to 260 no problem on the frame I was moving at like four five uh, 40 what? speed. Damn, yeah. dude. So, so that's that's not like bad athletic genes, but you can't if you're not tall these days, man, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's hard, man. It's hard. I, that's why I don't fight or one <laughs> or one of the reasons why I stopped fighting because. I looked at how far I could go, uh, realistically, at six one with my skill set, and I said, even if I get to the top ten, these motherfuckers—they're not just
1: big; they're actually really good athletes too. Right, right, so, yeah. Well, and and they got the reach. I think I think there's an advantage. Like, there's the middle ground that there isn't an advantage, but if you're short, like Tyson, where you can like get inside and and do yeah, work, like, or yeah, if, if it, you're length, you know, tall. If
3: I was like six one is a weird middle ground, man, because right. yeah, I'm like like right. I'm not I'm not that short. In fact, in fact I'm not short at all. Like compared to right. the whole population,
1: yeah, I'm six I feel tall,
3: <laughs> but I'm right. You you're you're taller statistically than ninety two percent of men you'll right. ever come across. Right, <laughs> like so you notice when somebody's tall because most times at six exactly. that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah.
1: but
3: in the ring, man, every like it was, it was weird. I was like. Everyone
1: is effing 6'4", man. What the <laughs> it's like- uh, So you say, uh, poverty is the root of evil. I remember I watched a pizza delivery guy get the shit beat out of him on Christmas Eve. Also, they could get like $400 in a free pizza. Like Meek Mill said, when certain mm, get to starving, know that gun gonna shine. <laughs> I love that.
3: Yeah, dude. It's, it's true. Look, I... Everyone goes, oh, the real quote is the root of money, uh, money or the love of money is the root of our evil. I'm like, man, shut the fuck Like, Like, that's that's one of those things you can say from a position of of moderate privilege and you're just going to ignore everything you see. Like, like I've been in in some poor neighborhoods outside the United States and it's the same thing. Like, it's yeah. not, like, like, people go, oh, poor people are happy everywhere. No, 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 no. Um, relatively poor people are still doing the same goofy shit. Like just because the GDP is less in in the Dominican Republic, you're not just gonna get robbed on the streets of Santo Domingo. But if you were in the, if you're in the hood, you know that's Hell gonna yeah. be a different story.
1: Yeah, All I right? mean, if people can't eat, they're gonna find a way.
3: You know. Yeah, it's 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 a a crazy, uh, crazy thing that I I never forget because i never seen violence in, in decent neighborhoods. And people go, why is that? Is it the policing? Is it the drugs? And I'm like, man, like, I'm not talking about, like, dudes beefing over corners. That's a very different type of violence that, for the most part, uh, 80% of it ish is, like, contained in, w- between the players in the game. Not a lot of innocent bystanders because, believe it or not, there is some bit of a system of, of honor. And the, like, like, if, you, if you hit somebody that ain't in the game and they got somebody who is in the game, you're gonna have to answer. And, and that's a that's a real thing. So what is it? What else is happening? Where does the other violence come from? And a lot of it, like they brought an outsider in and, and got him, you know, our poor people rob other poor people. It's it's crazy what desperation can make people do, and until you see it, uh it, it's very easy to, to quote a Bible verse. <laughs> from from the safety of your home, <laughs> right, right. But until until you've been around it and seen what happens, and it's like when people say money doesn't buy happiness. It, it, I'm not saying it does, but but let's take the the statement and break down what actually happens. There is a very real point um, where money stops increasing your happiness. That's the right. upper limit. But there's also a very real point where if you ain't there, you're gonna be pretty unhappy. <laughs> and, and I don't know what that number is, but I know that number is making you choose between food, rent, and clothing for that week or something like that for for that yeah. year. All right. And, when you and when the, you got to make real decisions about life based on money, that's a point of unhappiness. And if you make a little more, you're going to be happy.
1: Hell sure. yeah. And, and the inflationary environment that we're dealing with right now, you're going to see a lot more people that are unhappy because they they were just barely getting by and now they're not going
3: to. I'm about to move to Texas or Florida because, because it ain't going to be no question. If I smoke somebody down there, like, well, I mean, obviously like within, within reason, within reason, I can't, you know, what'd you say? Like, nah, Uh, but, but that's a, but like, I I filled my car up today (laughs) and I was like, man, this is outrageous. Like, this yeah.
1: shit it was eighty dollars, man. It's wild, I
3: ju- dude. I just sat there and laughed. I was like, "This is hilarious," and it's not funny, but but it is well, funny. Yeah,
1: man. I mean, if you can if you can afford it, it's it, you can laugh about it. If you if you can't, you know, fill your tank to get to work, then you start right. to get it's, real wild.
3: You know what was crazy about this, man? Like, uh you, you comment on the gas price on social media, and you get two types of idiots. No matter what, you get the one kind of idiot who is. Is so afraid of, of looking at any part po- well, they're pretty much both, but there's but but this one is so afraid of conceding anything to the opposition politically that they won't even recognize that the gas prices are that bad. Right. I had a, I had a dude tell me no joke. I had a dude when I when I commented on this on Facebook, he said, Well, we, we've been through worse before. And I was like, Fuck you mean we've been through worse, and he sends me. He sends me a picture of the gas prices and how how bad they were during the two thousand eight recession. Jokes on that clown! Literally that week we surpassed the record.
1: <laughs> right. right, exactly, dude.
3: And then you got people on the other side who were like, "Well, you voted for this. This Is what you, you know? Aren't you happy?" I'm like, "Like, no, no conscious verb person. No, no voter went. You know what?" Biden's gonna do something. It's gonna make these gas prices. <laughs> right, exactly. That's gonna make me vote for them. Like that's not how it works, and that's the whole joke they got us with this two uh, party political system, man. Exactly. Is yeah. that it it, it? it tricks people. It's done a great job, and I, I don't think we're ever gonna undo it. Like I said, I'm I'm convinced we're gonna undo ourselves before yeah. media gets here. I just even short of somebody figuring out a drug to to alter belief, uh, it's it's a it's a wild ride here.
1: <laughs> yeah, hell <laughs> yeah, dude. That's the other reason I moved to Florida, same same idea you had. I was like, I'm going to have to be able to defend myself because shit's about to get crazy.
3: Right. And, and not and not like be calling the question. Like, like I, I know some states I found this out, man, like, well, not states. I know in Canada it's like this. I don't know if there's any states. where like, you're supposed to try and reason with somebody if they break it to your house.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, exactly. you could be
3: charged a murder, and I'm like, "Yo, this is this is mad." Like,
1: you you I, break into my house, we ain't talking.
3: <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> we're we're way past words at that point.
1: Well, th- this is about this is kind of a, a playoff that last point about how we're going to undo ourselves. You said most people ain't going to make it. We be lucky you were born where you were and can read this. Most won't ever see it. Most won't ever know they can do better. If all you know is what you know from birth, then it is. Uh, then is it really your fault you end up repeating generational curses? That's yeah, a powerful one, man. Look,
3: man, uh, and this is something I've had to struggle with, and, and now I think I've I've reconciled it to I have the best explanation for. But uh people like to look at me on, on all sides, whether it be be, you know, people from my own community or people who are uh trying to use me as an example to others from my community who are from there and and they always go, you know, if, if Ed did it, what's keeping you from doing it? And and that sounds like a good argument because on paper, uh, if you don't look at anything underneath, we we are from similar circumstances, and have similar backgrounds, and, and yet I did not do that. I did not do a lot of things. And I am unusual. Most people don't aren't like me so what we're really falling for is survivor's bias we're looking at the people who made it and using them as an example of how easy it is to make it instead of asking the correct question which is why is he the only one that made it which is a a, a different question same same line of of or rather same uh evidence to raise a question but you raise a different question instead and one of the things I figured out is is I'm I'm lucky. I, I there's no other way to put it. I'm I'm lucky. Now I'm lucky in the sense that I was born with certain attributes and certain uh, personality traits that made me resistant to certain things that would have that would have ultimately spelled my demise. Uh I'm I'm lucky I was born with certain interests that that helped keep me out of the street. I mean, I love playing video games, dude. Like like I, was a, I would have much rather played an RPG than went outside. To like to the point my mom was was legit worried and then tried to force me outside. But because she didn't recognize, because the problem with people when they're born in a messed up environment is so they don't know how messed up it is. And, and I could go on length about that with many conversations. But she always tried to get me to go outside. And I just wanted to sit in the house and play Final Fantasy Tactics, man. Like <laughs> so It was a good time. And, you know, little things like that to keep me from getting sucked in. Being yeah. smart enough to get recognized for gifted programs and help me go to different schools every now and then, these things happen, and they really, they really helped me out. And, and and to really drive the point home, I'm 37. That means that I'm old enough now to have seen uh, people be born when I was like a cognizant human, like 14, 15, and now they're adults and seeing the path they took, and and now and I see it in my family. And I, uh, how many people in in the the right mix? I was like, well, he should end up in prison. That's kind of what I would expect, you know, if I had to bet. And it, it turns out, and you you just kind of kind of see, you know, no, very few people just spontaneously change their life path. Like, like I I recognize that, like me going on this path, and, and you know, marrying a foreign woman and having a kid and having money and and having a home and doing it without sports or rapping or something like that, that is, that is not what happens to people from where I'm from. That's not what happens, but, but did it just happen? No. I mean, there were things I had to do. Yes, I had to work, but I never ever um, downplay the role of, of the kind of luck that Warren Buffett talks about in the Ovarian lottery experiment where you can be born any place and any time but you were born because you know Ed Laddon was born in you know 1860, ooh, right? In America, it'd be a bad time, right? Hell I, was yeah. born, I was born, but I was born at the right time, you know, to where I'm able to take advantage of the internet and still have a, a strong foothold in the in the world. Um from born in the in the 60s, maybe I I don't have the option to meet somebody who is not of my uh background, right? right. So you know, all these things coming together.
1: Yeah. Well, that's fascinating, man. And, and I think it's, there's always this fine line that we're walking where like, there's this pull, pull yourself up from your bootstrap mentality where it's like, I, I want people that are even that grew up in poverty to feel empowered enough that like you can still break free, but I also want to acknowledge the challenges that you face. So it's like, how do I, how do I walk that line? Like, I don't want to make you feel like you can't fucking do anything. Yeah. Uh, But I also don't want to, well, here's the thing.
3: It's, it's, If it was a a simple answer, then we would likely have solved it by now. Sure. My experience is this. There are a lot of things that have nothing to do with where you were born from a first degree that affect how you see the world that you happen to get exposed to because of where you were born. Uh, You know? Uh, one of the, one of the the weird attitudes that I had to battle with my mom, and, and fortunately I'm I'm resistant up here. Like that's just how I was. Is my mom had a big problem with, with white people in general, mm. right? At first, and so when I went to a school that was all white, and all of my friends were white, and the girls I started talking to were white, she 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 wasn't she, liking that. She <laughs> resisted.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what
3: happens? You know, uh, one of my friends saved my life and it completely changed her perspective Mm. on things. But imagine if if I bought into that and and I made all my decisions, and a lot of people do buy into what their parents give them. Mm. They don't have to, they don't question it whatsoever. I I write in an article, uh, you know, benefits of a rough childhood. I I didn't have, I, I affect, I got the closest thing to a blank slate, I think exists which is that I didn't have anyone telling me what to do, except for when I tried to do something differently. And, but I was also born with that resistance part, too, where I was like, yeah, I'm just going to ignore you because that doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> and so I got to form everything, like all of my ideas about religion, politics, family. That That is, I don't have any of that from our family. I got it all from my experiences. So a lot of stuff I disagree with within my, with my family, you know?
1: I think, I sure. think I'm think i the
3: last person they, they want to ever ask about my opinion on a police shooting because I'm going to ask for the details sometimes. Uh, in some cases, I'm like, yo, that motherfucker is lucky they only shot him. <laughs> and other and other times, and it is in the case of Anton Rose Jr. Here in Pittsburgh, I was like... You know, that, that cop should have been put to jail and all they had to do was do a right once and we wouldn't have riots the next time it happens. Yeah. So um but but that's the thing, like the ability to think and not just align with the tribe that I was brought up, and that's 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 not normal. A lot yeah. of people well, have that.
1: and that, that kind of tribalistic view of these topics is a real problem because you have the, the conservatives or the republicans that'll just defend the cops no matter what, and then you have the <laughs> you know the Usually, it's a Democrat um, that that perceives any cop shooting of anybody as a you know evidence of the systemic problem and yeah. yada yada. And it's like, oh, well, man, dude, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Dude, we can have a whole
3: combo on that, man. I am right. I am one hundred percent convinced, and, and I get all kinds of hate from this. I don't care. I am one hundred percent convinced that that it is intentional that they make the shootings dude, about I'm race race because when you look at the numbers uh forget percentage we're just talking about absolutes because it's not a percentage issue it is a a a percentage of stops or whatever right right Uh, the, the more whites are shot than blacks but we can't bring that up because it's not divisive enough
1: exactly
3: and and when it happens uh and we can make it divisive that diverts attention off of the real problem which is the police training in this country is is really bad. Like like I didn't realize how bad it was until I I helped a friend get into the police academy. And in retrospect, I was like, all she had to do was pass the physical and have a few community college credits. I don't know if this person is the best option. Like like but but you know I, I helped but but seeing that and then hearing how long the academy was and what they had them do, I was like, yo, this is the real problem. But if we if we highlight that problem. That's one we can fix. Like, what does racial equality look like? No one, no, like, like, everyone can talk about it. But but if I if I ask you, put down a a, a, um, a condition that we can compare and go, okay, we've achieved or we haven't, you can't do that. But we can do that if we start talking about budget and spending, the outcomes of the police. And, and then nobody wants that, man. You well,
1: know. yeah. And to your point, you know, I can rattle off at least a half a dozen that I know very well. Uh, of white people that were killed by the cops unnecessarily and these and these names are are not well known at all you know and right. and it's like but they they don't want us to come together to push back against the police state and and excessive use of force they want us to be divided and that doesn't that doesn't fucking fix the problem and I'm interested in fixing the problem I want the cops and to stop killing people
3: you're speaking my language man that is like, like the absolute truth I say it all the time is that the the division keeps because because they don't have to they don't have to change your mind they just have to make you stop thinking about them right you ever see that meme exactly. with the king and it's like all you gotta do is convince the pitchfork people that the, the, the torch people are trying to take <laughs> yes. the <people> pitchfork <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: that, yeah, yeah. that's man it,
1: that's what it is it,
3: it's funny because it's true and you see yeah. it time and time and time again but you gotta remember you know by by measure of the way we do normative intelligence the mm. average person represents the majority of society and they are not very right. <laughs> they
1: ain't very smart. <laughs> well, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, it's the last post in this thread. And I hope everyone will go follow Ed. It's at Ed Lattimore. He says, If you've got a decent family situation, be grateful. You won. You're so far ahead of the game that you can actually backtrack and still be ahead of where people like me start. Uh, that's, man, that's powerful
3: and it's it's true. I think like do all, all the you know the adverse childhood effects things um, and and you look at the also another great stat to look at are the number of prisoners who grew up in a single parent household. It overrepresented as well. If you have a good family, you have something that that you had no control over that is going to shape your life in ways you don't even know like like i have a really good friend and his family is incredible the, the friend i was talking about where i did to save my life it's his family, oh yeah this guy right he went to college and and i wouldn't consider them you know at, at the very least if they are rich they don't like flash it or anything like that right but he was able to go to college and graduate with no debt. And then when he came out, because they had moved, he let they his parents made him rent. They didn't just give it to him and got to rent the house, but it was so cheap that it was that it was amazing. So all you can just come right out and start getting ahead. And that's what your family's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never hate on somebody who's got a great family life, you know, because because that's the goal. I don't like what am I exactly. doing to hate on that and then and then give my kid like, oh time for me to split and not support you. Like, no, that got to learn the world. That's not how it works. Uh, so if you have those, you know, even if you have a family that just loves and supports you and will understand and is willing to get better and learn. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't have those things, man. Like that, like, like my mom loved me and she, she supported me as best she could. But, but if we're talking like expose me to new things or, or invest in me it, no you know it was, i had that's one of the reasons why i'll never smoke and i hate cigarettes i think about all the, the damn money wasted uh, True, they could have been put towards something to make us better but she didn't she didn't want to you know do that it was it was easier to be comfortable so you when know, you have good examples around you that that can can just make your life better and, and, and oh, not, yeah. not and it does i mean you, you grow up seeing more Seeing different things, seeing cool things.
1: I, absolutely. I've been I've been blessed to have well, it's funny. <laughs> I said I've been blessed to have some uh, some really great mentors growing up, but I think the person, as bizarre as this is, the person that formulated my personality and my drive and my career more than anyone on earth is someone I only ever got to slap his, his hand as he walked off the court. Kobe Bryant, like his his oh, entire no his entire like mantra, the the mom <clears throat> the mama mindset, like all that. I'm telling you, dude. Like he, that I cried like a baby when he died. Uh, you know, two years ago, I I couldn't believe it. It, uh, it. But but people can find inspiration even if it's not in your you know in your actual family unit. So I'm just trying to yeah. You some know, people it, hope.
3: Oh oh for sure for sure. For sure. I, I don't I don't obviously. I mean obviously like I, I'm you know I'm, I'm alive in here and I I think I'm doing a great job on this planet. Um, uh, but I know it was a rough rough journey because I I spent the majority of my my twenties and early thirties really developing and learning and growing as a man. I didn't have my first real in-person role model until I was till I was damn near thirty. You know, my twenty eight wow. made it made a big difference. My coach, my, my professional boxing coach. You know, the, that that's a guy who who really inspired me to be a better person, not just a better fighter, great teacher, but inspired me to be a better person and and really taught me how to carry myself. In, in a way that's important, where your word is 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 so much more than yeah. anything else. And I take that. Way. I always think, okay, if if someone finds out I said or did this, how will it affect me and what they think of me? And you know, it's amazing what that what that that metric can do. Because if you have to stand by everything you say, you're probably going to consider what you say, and then that's going to change how you think about things.
1: Right. Yeah. And it- and I almost all of my lengthy conversations are now recorded and and you know, <laughs> <laughs> like frozen in stone, so that everyone gets to hear what I thought, you know, when I was thirty nine and stupid back in twenty twenty two. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this stuff, uh you know, looks in the future. If I'm not arrested for you know wrong thing, uh, <laughs> anyways, Ed. It, it truly an honor to talk to you, man. Uh, you are are. An inspiration, and you're brilliant, and I really appreciate your time. I I just ordered actually this morning his best-selling book, "Sober Letters to My Drunken Self." Man, I, uh, I'm so happy. Pick it up.
3: I'm so happy people are talking about that book now because 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 the, the book I really kind of built my my name and got a lot of press on was the first one, and and I love that book, and I use that book to, as an example of you know when you have a dream, just get it done the best you can because that was done the best I could and best I could at that time was I'm, I'm not nearly the writer I am today. I had no money. So I didn't have a budget for editing, but right, I right. put it together and people still get a lot out of it. But Sober Letters is like a real creation <laughs> with editing and like, and you know, I'm, 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 I'm way better at writing. And, and I think the message hits, it's harder. And the next book is going to be, be a really cool piece. So I'm Brilliant. excited. Yeah.
1: Well, once I finish reading it, I, I hope I can invite you back on. It, it has been a, a great conversation. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. And I wish you the best in your future endeavors. And with the next book, I cannot wait to see what you do, man. You're, you're really shaking the world up.
3: Awesome, man. Thank you. And you have a really good day, man.
1: All right, brother. Have a good one. I right, see you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. What an incredible double-dipped episode. I can't believe how brilliant... The guests I get to have on are, truly, it's like, I'm living the dream here, folks. And I couldn't have done it without you. If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Become a supporting member of the show. That'll help me to grow it, to get this message to more people. The show is growing rapidly. It's all because of you guys. libertylockdown.locals.com to help in that process. Or if you want to pick up some Liberty Lockdown shirts, they are really fire. They're created by Top Lobster. Go to toplobstah.com. Bunch of you have been doing that, and I really appreciate it. I can't wait to be at the conventions and stuff and see people wearing them. I'm going to give you a huge hug and be like, you're my people. I know right away you're my people, so that's that's going to be really a cool experience. And speaking of, I will be in Ohio, speaking at the convention there this weekend, the 29th through the 30th, I believe, of April. So if you're listening to this right now, make sure, if you live in Ohio, come out and see me. It's going to be fun. I'm going to give a half an hour speech. You won't want to miss it. Anyways, I'll catch you guys next week. Love you a long time. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe. Do the damn thing. We're out. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all.
0: Welcome to Liberty Lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not t- from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of We'll come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane You're probably wondering What's happening Scared Hollywood these lyrical fappin' in a typo and Luke Might bring them nooses We all bite the bullet I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit Didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot But now nah, the shit right back. Peter Quinonez Invite me on Which podcaster Sends custom songs Part of the problem Now nah, I stand with the people Dave showed the way But I am unequal. Lions of liberty Now hear me roar Beat running out But I got a bit more Robbie the fire Always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich Now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick But you're welcome to quit I went over BLM With a fire I spit Friends against government Just call us fags Copy the Cairo Put mummies in the bag Allowable opinions Get thrown on the ground Silky's smooth time Was the only sound Getting so hot